Adrian Cowan served as the island's trusted weatherman for 40 years. Last month, he hung up his barometer to spend more time with his family. But where did his journey start? Well, in the next half hour, we'll hear from the man himself on his career, his obsession with the weather, and even get first-hand information on times he was caught out by the weather. Well, my career started in this Met Office on the 12th of July, 1983. How did I get here? Well, I had been to Castle Russian High School to get my A-levels. Then I went away to Preston Polytechnic in Lancashire, and uh, where I studied applied physics. And then I had that successfully completed, and I didn't have a job. I saw a job advertised at Isle of Man Airport, I put in for the job. Amazingly, not only did I get shortlisted and have an interview, they also offered me the job, and the rest is history, as I say. (laughs) So did you know you wanted to be a meteorologist? No, not really. I knew I wanted to do something in uh, maybe engineering or computing or scientific, and there were not many opportunities then. I actually originally hoped to join either the Royal Navy or the Royal Air Force, Um, but I didn't get past their selection procedure. The two jobs that came up on the Isle of Man whilst I came home to think about what I was going to do next, which one of my options was to become a teacher, uh, which would have been interesting, I'm sure. But two jobs were advertised on the Isle of Man at the time that summer. One was to be a trainee computer programmer with Isle of Man government, and the other one was to join the Met Office at the airport. And both interviews were on the same day. (laughs) And one was in the morning and one was in the afternoon. The Met Office one was in the morning, and I thought it went well. And the next interview was not until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. (laughs) At 1.30, I received a phone call to say, would you be interested... um, in the Met Office job, or do you want to be interviewed for the computer programming job? And I thought, that's strange to give me the choice. So I I took my sort of bet and I said, the Met Office job, really? And they go, oh, well, you've said the right answer. We're offering you the job. (laughs) So I took up the job in the Met Office. That's the 40 years done and dusted. And now I thought, you know what? Uh, We have some successful trainees completing their training in the office. And it's time for me, I think, to step away and enjoy some uh, time for myself uh, with my wife and family uh, whilst I've still got uh, some years in hand and some health and uh, leave it to my colleagues to uh, continue the good work. How has your career been? Uh, It's been very varied and exciting. Uh, I think it's amazing how much changes in technology I've seen. Well, we all have around us in the last 40 years, those of us that are old enough. (laughs) Um, But at the airport and in the Met Office, massive changes in technology that's made a, a change in how we do our work and how we deliver the end product, which might be weather reports, forecasts and warnings. Um, The technology of how we monitor what's going on has been amazing changes in satellite technology, uh, computing power, um, measuring devices. So there's been lots of changes which has kept it fresh, it's kept it exciting that science and technology continues to improve around us. Before I go on to the science and the technology and how it's evolved, what's been some of your career highs? Oh, there are so many. 
Uh, some of them are on a serious note and some of them on a more uh, light note. Uh, I am, so I suppose, by nature a weather geek. And by that, I mean I like interesting weather, and that normally means um, severe weather cases. Now, whether that's um, gales, storms, heavy rain, snow, you name it, um, I like that because it's more challenging, it has more impact. So that's when it comes into uh, its own, that our forecasts and warnings are critical to help meet people safe uh, and make decisions. Um, and I think that's one of the things that has improved massively over the years. And I think that we can give people more timely advice, useful advice to help them change their plans or mitigate their risks and dangers and take actions. So there's some of the highlights how we, we can help organisations and people um, stay safe and alter their plans. And what's, what would you say is your most, was your most memorable weather event to work on? Personally, the, the one that I took great satisfaction out of was the, the period of gales and uh, storm surges and high tides that happened early in um, 2014. So in, in January and February 2014, um, there were deep areas of low pressure affecting the British Isles, which produced the gales and indeed belts of heavy rain. But the main feature were the gales. In fact, they were severe gales and they coincided with high tides. Um, so that produced a combination of storm surges and coastal overtopping, but also some harbour flooding. And I was on duty, so I was buzzing with excitement, uh, but also had a heavy workload. We ended up issuing red warnings, which means there's a risk to life. Um, high impact, dangerous event, people should be aware and take actions to protect themselves. So uh, we issued uh, red warnings uh, for those events, uh, severe, severe gale, high tide overtopping and flooding. And all of those elements were issued uh, in a warning the day before. Actions were taken, people took precautions, uh, sandbags were put out, all those things and it turned out that the timing and the accuracy of the event was spot on. Even us working in the Met Office were amazed how accurate that event was. And uh, it saved a lot of people, uh, damaged their property, and more importantly, everybody stayed safe. How has the job changed or evolved over the years? First of all, there's, there's an appetite by all organisations and the public that they want their weather information and they want it now and they, they want it to be accurate. When I started in the 1983 period for the first few years, people were quite happy to know what is it going to be like for the weather for tomorrow or the day after. And the expectation was we'd be right some other time. But by the 1990s, with new weather models and equipment and technologies, the expectation became, well, you're always right about tomorrow. Now try to tell us about what it's going to be like in five days' time. And um, that started to happen, and, we, and the accuracy level went up. Why did the accuracy, accuracy level go up? It went up because of improvements in computer modelling of weather patterns. And we had further training and understanding the computer models and changing those um, figures into uh, forecasts uh, for the public and for shipping, for example, and even aviation. 
so there's one change that continues to be expectations. And the expectation now is for us to be uh, nearly right at least five days in advance, sometimes seven days in advance, um, and the accuracy levels continue to improve because of the technology of monitoring, especially with satellite technology, and then modeling with computer models um, to inform forecasters to convert that into a forecast. So it's all about delivery on those expectations. And in terms of our technology and the equipment that's being used? Um, access to it is important. So thankfully, uh, with the support of the DOI and Isle of Man government, there has been an investment in the technology. Um, and we, we are very closely, as ever, linked to the UK Met Office. So we have access to all of their network and their data sets and their modelling. That's enabled um, us to um, have state-of-the-art equipment and we match that up by um, having training and using that uh, information. So we stay pretty much um, on a par with UK Met Office for delivery of that technology into the public domain. And you know that all that goes on magically behind the scenes. And of course, the actual delivery point can be um, um, these days online. It can be live on Manx Radio. It can be um, messages sent directly to customers who may be uh, pilots of aircraft or the captains on the Isle of Man steam packet vessels. Whoever the customer is, they want it and they want it now. has it changed um, when you first started trying to do all of your calculations and all of your readings to now? Did it once take you maybe five or ten minutes to try and work it out and now you just put it in a computer and you get everything? Well, pretty much something like that. In, in the early days you had to uh, decode information manually, write it down or plot it on a chart and then analyse it and understand it. And even if you became uh, proficient at doing that and quick at doing that, it would take you an hour. You needed an hour to do it all and think about it and turn it into a forecast. Now we have all that information brought to us by technology. It's on screen. We can analyse it, think about it and convert it in a for to a forecast in within 10 minutes. So there's a massive change there. The expectation of needing 60 minutes we now only need approximately on average only 10 minutes to take all that information in and convert it into a forecast or a warning um, and with more confidence because that information is there instantly it's in front of us whereas before sometimes you'd have to make some phone calls you'd have to ring up somebody else and somebody else and say what do you think what have you got the, in some ways, the job has become easier. I use the word easier when I mean quicker. Uh, in other ways, it's become harder because more people want the information quicker and they want it in more detail. So, yeah, swings and roundabouts. Your replacement, what advice do you have for that person? I would say um, settle into behind the desk, weigh up what's been left behind for you. I will be leaving some bullet points and notes and hints and tips. Um, 
but make up your own judgment about how you're going to approach uh, the job going forward. Now, I would like to think they might want to keep going a, a lot of the ways uh, I approach the job uh, and managing the office. Uh, but I'd also like to think there might be um, some new ideas, some innovation, and maybe some changes uh, for the again to maybe slightly improve the service delivery um, and the training regime and that's fine that's why it's great that there's always a fresh pair of eyes at the end of the day who can say right well he, he did that very well he didn't do that so i'm going to do that bit and we'll see how it goes i'd always say to somebody give yourself some thinking time don't rush into anything maybe consult with colleagues and then bring it in slowly and gradually and carefully, whatever the change is. How obsessed do you think you'll be with weather forecasts from now on? Oh, you know what? Uh, forever. Absolutely forever I'll be obsessed. Um, my daily routine of checking um, the weather information, the weather forecasts, it's, it's almost my first job in the morning um, to, to see what the latest forecast is issued by colleagues and think, hmm, really? I'm not so sure about that. Well, most of the time I say, oh, that's good. Oh, they've, they've done a good job today. So I'll continue to be obsessed. You know, I, I, I listen to the forecast on the radio. I check my uh, internet feed. You know what? One of my secret pleasures, <laughs> one of my secret pleasures is watching um, the weather forecast on BBC Breakfast. Um, first of all, it's a quality production, and the bonus usually for me is it's presented by uh, a presenter who I think is excellent at her job, and that's Carol Kirkwood. And as it turns out, um, if you look behind you in my office, I have a signed postcard um, given to me by Carol Kirkwood when I was lucky enough to go down to the BBC um, Weather Centre in London and uh, we, had, we were, had a meeting, we were shown around and we went round the studios and at the end of the day, Carol kindly said, would you like, would you like a souvenir? And my souvenir is a, a signed uh, postcard, publicity postcard from Carol Kirkwood, but she's a lovely lady to meet. But more importantly, she's a great weather presenter. She, she, her, her training is similar to mine. She was a forecaster who happened to go into TV presentation. So um, I have respect for her because she understands weather and more respect because she has the ability to present it, uh, especially on BBC television. There's my guilty pleasure. That's my guilty pleasure. And then, strangely enough, another one of my weather heroes from the BBC presenting team was also coming on duty, and that was Stav, Stav Deneos. Um, again, a quality TV weather presenter. Um, and there are some who do not meet those same standards. I'll put it that way. I'm not going to name them, but, you know, when you meet some of your weather presenting heroes in person... Um, at the BBC Television Centre. That was a marvellous moment for me. That was just a few years ago. If you've just tuned in, I'm Chanel Suku and you're listening to an Island Life special with Adrian Cowan on Life at the Met Office. How hard is it to accurately forecast the weather? It's not that hard, generally speaking. Um, in fact, if I was doing weather forecasting, um, in the British Isles, it, it would actually be a pretty easy job, uh, generally speaking. The Isle of Man's a different um, 
situation. Um, Because weather systems are so large, um, it's difficult to pin down, believe it or not, the detail for a little lump of rock in the middle of the Irish Sea, which happens to be called the Isle of Man, because it's a very small target in terms of weather and uh, what it will exactly do. Because the Isle of Man and the Irish Sea are surrounded by the land masses that are Ireland, Scotland, England and Wales, and those modify the weather in itself, and, and the Irish Sea does too. So by the time any weather system gets to the Isle of Man, it's already been changed a little bit. And even when it reaches the Isle of Man, the detail for different parts of the Isle of Man, it, you, we know is going to be different from the west to the east, the north and south. So to convey that message in detail on each and every different day, that's the hard part. Some days we're all going to get the same. There are other days when you identify, ooh, it's wet and windy for the south, but it's bright in the north, as a typical example. So those days, when you're your young, when you are a young forecaster and learning, those days are hard. After you've done twenty years, you start to realise you've seen it all before. You've, that's experience. So there's one thing about forecasting: there's the technology, the training, but then there's also the experience, and it's the experience. Um, that adds the quality, the value added and the detail. So all of a sudden you you meet people in the street who notice that your forecasts, they think your forecasts have become more accurate. I suppose they have, but it's because they've become more accurate because they're more tailored to the Isle of Man. Um, And so the perception is um, the detail for them is more accurate. And how responsible do you feel when the weather's bad for big events? Always. We live and breathe it. And I say we, it's not the royal we, it's all of us in the Met Office. We feel that burden of responsibility um, of living with our forecasts and our warnings. That's what we've said. Let's see what happens and how it's had an impact on people. Now that pressure of responsibility seems to ramp up on all of us when it's a big event. Uh, Now those big events that were looked at in detail are the TT, but it can also be other events, big sporting events on the Isle of Man, away from the TT. It can also be something as simple as the agricultural shows, big events where thousands of people are going to be involved with that event or just visiting the event. So The burden of responsibility is you you want to help people make their decisions. Are they going to hold the event safely today? Are they going to postpone it? Uh, Are they even bother going to show up? Oh gosh, those those forecasters at the Met Office, Ronald's way of saying it's going to turn wet and windy this afternoon. Well, I'm not going today then. I'm going to go tomorrow instead. And then for the rest of the day, if you've been on the forecasting in the morning, for the rest of the day when you finished your shift you're there looking at the sky nervously come on come on rain just rain will you because that's what was in your forecast so yeah we live it and we breathe it and we we feel the pain or the gain uh, and the other one that we feel we help people make their decisions about traveling on and off the isle of man we advise um, people on the conditions in the irish sea And yes, based on our forecasts, people do change their mind about when they're going to go. They change their booking on the the Ben McCree, or they change their flight. Um, If they hear us talk about low cloud and mist, 
they definitely start thinking about changing their flight or getting on the boat as an alternative. So we're helping people make their decisions. So we live with that as well. What advice do you have for aspiring young forecasters? Or would you like to see more younger people coming into forecasting? Uh, yes, I would like to see uh, further interest from uh, young people um, looking at science and engineering jobs. Um, the world rep- re- relies upon those going forward as the world adapts and mitigates against the effects of climate change, for example. Um, and if that makes the world a safer place that we have uh, inspired and should inspire um, scientists and technicians and engineers, and that's great. And as part of that, myself and Kirsty Pendlebury have, uh, with the other colleagues as well, uh, helping us, we've been hosting visits uh, by young uh, persons who are trying to decide on their choices about um, their topics that they'll study at school or at university and they come to see us about that and we're quite happy to do that. I know there are other worthwhile career paths as well but we try to encourage um, people to definitely consider the pleasures of becoming a scientist working um, in the world we live in and if that helps them decide to study maybe mathematics and physics at A level then so be it and that's what what we do and I I would recommend uh, a career in meteorology Um, it's an exciting career it's varied um, and um, you are ultimately helping the community you live in Um, and it's open to all all types of people uh, these days and we particularly encourage um, under the you know equal opportunities everybody to come and uh, think about becoming a scientist is there anything else you'd like to add or you'd like to say i've got some funny uh, moments uh, that i've um, had over the years and perhaps you'd like a few snippets of those two of them i actually have told manx radio before because i did uh, some interviews years ago and talked to people like bernie quayle and uh, further back Stu Lowe, one of the early presenters who did live link-ups so here we go one of the things that was quite funny for me was a weatherman getting caught out by a thunderstorm and that weatherman was me uh, I listened to the forecast one morning and it was by one of my colleagues I want name and shame who said there today will be mostly bright for sunshine and there's just a small risk of a shower so I turned to my good lady wife and said, we're going to the Calf of Man today. It's a good day to go to the Calf of Man. So off we went, the sun was shining, beautiful day out there. And one hour later, we had to run for shelter. The chance of an odd shower did turn up. And not only was it not an odd shower, it was a thunderstorm. It poured down on us, heavy rain. And uh, I was not happy about that forecast. We got back um, back onto the mainland, the Isle of Man, uh, to discover that the only place that had been hit by a shower that day was the Calf of Man. The rest of the Isle of Man had stayed sunny, as predicted, I suppose. So it was a- accurate report. It, it, it was. It, in that case, it was just me uh, being unlucky. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And what else was funny? Uh, we, we Sometimes we get some grief about accents in the world we live in, don't we, you know? Um, so we do, we get that in the Met Office as well. But in my early days, my early training, uh, Met Office College, Shinfield Park, Reading, I was interviewed by the famous Bill Giles and Michael Fish. 
for my suitability to do public weather forecasts on the radio or TV. So I did my interview, I did my presentation, and we sat down and they said, well, that was okay, but you've got a funny accent. So I'm there with my mouth open, funny accent. And they said, well, we don't know what it is, but maybe you're from Liverpool. And I thought, no, actually, I'm from the Isle of Man. And they said, oh, well, whatever. Um, we don't think you're suitable for radio or, radio or TV. Go away and practice. And maybe if one day you might be lucky, you may be able to be on local radio. Well, thank you, Bill and Mike. I did come back to the Isle of Man. I do talk to the WI and I do talk to Manx Radio. Adrian Cowan at the Met Office, thanks for those measured tones, that dry wit and unrivaled meteorological knowledge. It's been a great ride, Aidy. Aidy Cowan with the weather, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, Aidy. Adrian Cowan, thank you very much.